You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mama told me son, go and play in the yard. Papa said go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to Inside the Yard. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold with you and Jeff, we have a special guest coming up. You may have heard of him. He's a a rookie outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles named Ryan Mountcastle. And boy, has he burst onto the scene. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle, I remember him in the minor leagues. And I must have been like the most annoying human being to this guy when he was in Frederick because everybody and their brother wanted to interview Ryan Mountcastle. Because you see, Brett, and and you've been a big-time radio guy for a while, but when when you do broadcasting in minor league baseball, you have – broadcasting responsibilities like I did some marketing work and you were also the PR guy for the team so every time somebody would want to do an interview it would always come through you and like I would walk into the clubhouse and Ryan had to be like oh god not this guy again <laughs> but no I mean he, he's he, the, the the fanfare then and the attention then was well warranted he was unbelievable and he was in the Carolina League and what he's done at the start of his major league career has been tremendous as well. We've seen him improve in every facet of the game. I don't think you can imagine a better start for him. He's hit some tough pitching. He's developed as a hitter. His discipline has been really strong. His base running has really improved. He's worked hard on that, as well as his defense in left field. So there's a lot to like about this beginning for Ryan Mountcastle. So when you saw him, Jeff, he was 20 years old, which is uh, young for that league. He, in 379 plate appearances, hit 15 homers, 35 doubles, which is a huge number in that league. He hit 314, OPS just under 900. He slugged the you-know-what out of the baseball. What were your impressions? I mean, you saw a lot of really good prospects, both Orioles prospects and opposing prospects. Hey, tell me, where, where did he fit in in Carolina League uh, kind of overall spectrum? I mean, he's one of the best hitters in the league. He won the batting title that year. So you watch him hit and the ball left his bat and you're kind of just like, yeah, th- this guy has a chance to do something really good every time he comes up to the plate. I think he was at a spot where you, you were wondering what his position was maybe going to be long-term, but in terms of the offense, there was no doubt about what he was capable of. He was going to be really aggressive when he went up there, but more often than not, when he made contact, uh, he would get a hit and there were plenty of times where it went a long ways. And it's interesting because you've, explain this to me really well not all Carolina leagues or any league is equal year to year because it's always changing it's always evolving but you know Ryan McKenna you saw him a few years ago what he hit like 380 when he was with you and Frederick and then you have someone like Mountcastle put a season like that together Uh, you saw Chance Sisko have some huge a huge year down there Uh, was Ryan just the ball just kind of jumped comparatively speaking to any prospect for or against the Orioles yeah, I, I think it just jumped off his bat. I mean, there, there's some guys when you, you go down to the cage in the minor leagues where you can tell that someone's a major leaguer. Now, I got that vibe around Ryan. I got that vibe around Austin Hayes as well when you, when you were down there and you were watching him hit. I mean, these were just two really special hitters that had an immense amount of talent. So it, it was fun to watch what these guys could do because whenever they stepped in the box, you had a sense that something really good could happen. And you're right. Like, there are some years where – the pitching is better. Sometimes it's not as good. The competition is better. Sometimes it's not as good. But I, I don't think it would have really mattered what kind of competition that Mountcastle would face. I think he would have been 
one of the best shooters in the league regardless. Interesting. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to know young 23-year-old Ryan Mountcastle. And a very special guest right now on Inside the Yard. He is an Orioles rookie, but he's not playing like one. Ryan Mountcastle is with us right now. Ryan, how are you? Good. How are you guys? We're doing well, but how are you doing? I mean, you jump into the big leagues after a long awaited debut, at least from the fans' perspective, and, and you've kind of just looked the part. Tell us about it. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We've been winning some games as of late and uh, going for a little playoff push here at the end and, you know, just trying to go out there and play hard every day. And it's a great group of guys, and I've, I've definitely enjoyed myself. Ryan, how cool was the weekend for you guys? Because you not only beat Garrett Cole, but you beat Masahiro Tanaka, two pretty tough pitchers that, that a lot of teams would be really excited to beat. What, was, what were those last two games like against the Yankees? I mean, it was awesome. I mean, going out there that first, that one night against Cole and, uh, you know, beating him, that was definitely exciting. You know, it definitely brought a little spark to the clubhouse, and I think we've carried over to the last couple games. Had a rough loss last night, but, um, you know, we're ready to get back on the horse today. Ryan, you're, you're, the amount of hits you've racked up, the extra base hits, uh, what you've done at the plate, I mean, is this what you thought it would be when you were envisioning this day your whole life? And, and to get to the big leagues, is this kind of how you envisioned it? Uh, I never really thought about how I do. I just, you know, thought about that first day walking in, all the jitters. But, um, you know, just going out there and working hard. I mean, I, I've, you know, played my whole life to, to uh, get to this point. I've worked my whole life. And, uh, you know, it's starting to, you know, I don't know, show itself, I guess. But. Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about how I'm doing. Ryan, did you always know that you wanted to be a baseball player? How how did you start out playing the game? Um, I mean, I was young. I was, you know, th or probably four or five when I started playing t-ball or whatever. And you know, I played basketball too up until high school, and then I realized, you know, I'm gonna take this baseball thing serious. And ever since then, I just, you know, worked hard to get to this point. I had a chance to communicate with your parents, and they both said that you would leave birthday parties if there was a game on ESPN or something in the background that has to do with baseball, that you would actually say to your friends, I'm leaving, I'm going to watch this game. Was it an obsession for you? Yeah, I mean, it It wouldn't really just be baseball. I just always love watching sports. I mean, I love watching football, basketball, all that. So, um, yeah, ever since a kid, I've I mean, I still watch some cartoons, but at the same time, I probably watch a little bit more ESPN <laughs> than most normal kids. I wasn't some, I mean, I wasn't that crazy, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a high round draft pick by the Orioles. Were you always the best player on your team when you were growing up? Um, not really. I mean, I've, I've played on some really good teams, and um, yeah, I mean, travel ball. Uh, back in high school, I've, our, FTB team or whatever that was the name of it but we had probably three or four first rounders including you know a guy out of the bullpen with the Mets right now David Peterson um little lefty I actually got to face him the other day he got me to pop up so uh you know he's he's pretty good guy pretty good guy pretty good pitcher too so Ryan you grew up what about 30 or so miles away from Orlando is that right uh yeah I'm probably about yeah right around there 
how many trips to Disney World did you make in your in your time growing up? <laughs> I get this question a lot, and honestly, not many. I mean, I've gone a couple times, but um, yeah, it's for people who live around there, it's nothing crazy. But obviously, yeah, people who live up up north or you know west coast it's uh it's definitely a big deal <laughs> ryan we've talked about you, you have a bunch of family from the northern virginia area that were orioles fans growing up were you an orioles fan as well um yeah my my family was some of them were orioles fans i mean i wouldn't say they were you know hardcore you know birdland people but um yeah they definitely were orioles fans growing up and then once they moved down south they just sort of you know, I don't know. I don't know if they were still fans or not, but I I wasn't really a fan of any teams. I just I've always been a guy who likes watching players, and I like uh, you know seeing different players play. I guess the next question to that is who who was your favorite player uh, to watch growing up? Being from Florida, I, I loved watching uh, you know Longoria back in Tampa, uh, his days and. You know, obviously Trout playing, all these guys now are, are a bunch of beasts. When you look at um, just some of the, the different guys across the game and, and you know, when, when you look at, you know, getting to share the same field with some of these different guys, I mean, does it has it struck you at all? Like, you know, you're on a big league field, you're playing with a big league team, and suddenly you're looking across and, you know, there's Garrett Cole and there is this guy and there is that guy. Have you Have you had any of those moments when you've been on the field? Uh, yeah, I mean, at first you see some of the guys like, oh my gosh, and then, you know, you have a little small conversation with them, they're like, they're just normal dudes, like, they're just like you, and, uh, you know, we're just, you know, out of your plane, I mean, got to chat with, you know, Kano a little bit on base, you know, last couple of days, and he's a great guy, and, you know, you just start to realize they're, you know, just like you, they're not, you know, anything crazy. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you were uh, at the Bowie alternate site for a long time uh, this year. There's a lot of arms down there, and we've heard from some of them talking about how hard it is to get you out. But what's your uh, reaction to a D.L. Hall, a Grayson Rodriguez, and some of the other high-profile arms that are down there for the Orioles? Yeah, I mean, that was um, probably the best thing was facing those guys, just, to, you know, getting you ready for – the call up because I mean there's a bunch of studs down there and you know you got you know your Grayson's your DLs but I mean you also have some pretty good other arms that we got you know Matson and uh, Handhold some of these guys that maybe aren't as high on your little prospect lists but I mean really good pitchers down there and I mean we got a really bright future coming up for sure. Can you take us through what the, what the everyday is like down at the alternate site and, and how it works for position players in, in getting their work in every day? Yeah, I mean, we'd show up to the field. Um, you'd either hit in the cage and then maybe go to the weight room or vice versa. But um, you'd do all that stuff and then you go out for stretch, get a bunch of, you know, uh, defense in, defensive work, maybe shag some fly balls or MVP too for me. And uh, after that, you go back in the clubhouse for about 30 minutes and we have a little sim game and you, know, you play about however many pitchers are thrown that day. That's how many innings you're playing. Ryan, you're someone who has been on all the top prospect lists, 
a lot of times you were maybe in the back end of the top 100, some years out. Did that bother you for whatever reason they were nitpicking you? And, you know, last year you're the reigning international league MVP at 22. And I think at first baseball America left you off this year's top 100 list. Did that bother you in any way? Not really. I mean, I, I don't really look at that stuff, but uh, it's just funny how that stuff works. It's uh, usually not the best all the time. So yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> Well, you're back in it now, if last time I checked, actually, oh. for the record. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it's a sleep easy night. <laughs> uh, crazy. Ryan, in terms of, um, you know, some of the, the other position players that we, you were able to see at the alternate site, who impressed you? Position players? Um, I mean, Diaz was, when I was there, just crushing homers left and right. Um Gunnar Henderson, just watching him for how young he is, you know, his approach to the plate and him in the field. You got a cannon for an arm at short, looked really good. You know, um, McKenna was there for a little bit when I was there. Uh, he looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of those guys were, were hitting the ball well. You, you didn't mention Adley, but uh, how did he look behind the plate? Adley, too. Play? Yeah, sorry. I should know. You always uh, have to yeah, mention Adley. <laughs> I know, my bad. There's a bunch of guys there. But, uh, yeah, no, he looked good, too. He's uh, got a pretty swing, that's for sure. Ryan, last one for me. Oh, what was your favorite minor league city when, when you were on your way up to the big leagues? Um, as a home park or away, anything? Could be anything. Uh, I'd probably say Charlotte and AAA. That was a pretty cool city. Ryan Mountcastle, we appreciate so much. Congratulations on your early success in the big leagues. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Time for our insider segment. Masson's Rock Bucko is with us right now. And, Rock, let's just start with the team surging a little bit up and through uh, the game we saw on Wednesday evening in Queens. But – uh, what's been the team's reaction to kind of waking up and with the new playoff format to say, hey, there's two and a half weeks left and we're in this thing? Right. I asked Brandon this yesterday because I wasn't sure if there really was scoreboard watching in 2020. Like, are they even posting? Like, the out-of-town scoreboard at Camden Yard is not listing scores. So I'm not even sure how you scoreboard watch in other ballparks. But he admitted, he goes, look, I I'm not, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, like, wake up in the morning and, and go to MLB – you know, trade rumors of the MLB site to look at the standings. He'll watch MLB Network. At, late at night after his game, he checks around the league. But it's still so cliche, but it's that day-at-a-time approach. He's like, we got to win tonight. If we don't, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. We have to win. And I'm sure that's been passed on to his players who clearly are peaking at the standings. But also, again, realize we have to keep winning and, you know, Brandon is preoccupied with just trying to get nine healthy guys on the field. Like he keeps saying, our, our training room is full right now. So he has to spend most of his time pregame, you know, checking on Nunez's hamstring and Iglesias' quad. And, you know, Hanser Alberto had an issue with his knee. And, and, you know, who's coming off the IL? Who isn't ready to do that? So I think a lot of it's just I'm just trying to field a healthy team, come up with a lineup. And he has not repeated very many of them and then hope for the best. And now the changes with these young guys filtering in who on the surface you would think aren't part of a playoff push. That's more of a future thing. And yet 
they've really keyed this resurgence, but he's also trying to work them in, introduce them to the major. There's so many other things going on, plus the fact that the schedule is still brutal. Like, he knows, I got to get through a four-game series with the Yankees who are going to get healthier, and they're a lot better than they've been playing. And then I got the Braves and the Rays, and I got to play the Jays again at Buffalo. Like, there's some, it's, the, the finish line is visible, visible, but there's so many things that they still have to do in order to make the playoffs. So I think wisely he's preaching that cliche. It's just one day at a time, and then we'll move on to the next one. I mean, Rock, isn't it that that's what it's more about is the health of this team over this two-week stretch and much less about the teams that you're playing? Because it seems to me like based on him talking about it was a full trainer's room the other day, it, it seems like it's a lot more about that than who is coming up next on the schedule. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, that's why he was posting his lineup as late as he has been. I, I, like I wrote, he's not playing games where, hey, I'm not telling anybody who we're putting up. He doesn't know yet. He's got to wait for batting practice after batting practice. Hey, how are you feeling now? Are you able to go? Who's ready, like I said, to come off the IL? Uh, so, you know, that, this has been – and every team's got the problems. The Yankees certainly don't feel sorry for the Orioles with their injuries. But you look at, at the guys that are playing now, there's, you know – Cedric Mullins is in center field because of Austin Hayes' rib. DJ Stewart's in right because of Santander's oblique. And then we've seen Valeca playing pretty much every infield position while guys are unavailable or Velasquez. And, uh, you know, it's, it's and, you know, what catcher all of a sudden we didn't see. Chance Cisco, we wondered, well, okay, is he a day-to-day? We heard Cedric Mullins was day-to-day. We never even found out why, but he was day-to-day. Alex Cobb suddenly is removed from the rotation. I'm sure it's COVID-related. The team can't comment on it. So you lose him and plus all the trades that have been made. So, yeah, he's just sitting back every day saying, okay, let me look at my roster. Let me see who's available. Do I need to sit Iglesias or at least DH him to keep that quad from flaring up again? He's been able to play shortstop in a couple games in a row. That's a huge accomplishment. But I'm sure Brandon will check with him again and say, how's the leg feeling today? And maybe I need to DH you. Did I push you too far? And, you know, the bullpen, you know, he's got to look at these guys and who's available and who needs a break. So, yeah, I think he's so preoccupied with just trying to figure out who is available to him and what's the best way to line them up in the order and how to use them out of the pen that, you know, everything else becomes secondary. Rock, you said it, and it's, it's obvious that these young players who've been called up have kind of sparked this thing because, listen, they, they were starting to fade a little bit. They made a bunch of deadline trades. They lost a bunch of heartbreakers in a row, but they've been kind of carried by the Aikens, the Kramers, the Harvey recall uh, from the IL, and then, of course, Ryan Mountcastle uh, and, and the reemergence of DJ Stewart. Is there, are there any other possible call-ups in the final two and a half weeks of the season? I mean, nothing gets fans more excited. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, uh, but it's a pretty obvious spark to this team right now. At this point, it would surprise me. I think the guys that are up now, we knew at some point would be here. We knew Mountcastle, Aiken for sure. Kramer was a probable. It was just a matter of when. And everybody else is a probably not, though anything can change, especially if suddenly they're scrambling again to, uh, to fill some spots. But I don't know if right now they're looking to get anybody else's feet wet and, and kind of rush them through what's been a very beneficial secondary uh, campsite right now at Bowie. The work they're doing there with guys that we've seen and guys who we haven't, but are just getting that, that important development going on with no minor league season. So at this point, it would surprise me, but I've been surprised a few times already. But like I said, the guys that we've seen now, we were anticipating would all be here. Uh, I thought maybe we would see an Isaac Matson by now, you know, AAA reliever acquired from the Angels in the Dylan Bundy trade. I hear he's throwing really well down there. 
we haven't seen him. Is that a guy that you might see instead of another Evan Phillips, Cody Carroll, whatever recycling type thing? Maybe, maybe not. I just feel like that right now they're, they're going to kind of play the hand that they've got, hope to get a couple guys back like Hayes, like Cobb, and then uh, let the, the others just continue their development. That includes these young starters, Zimmerman, Lowther, who was a late addition to the camp, and, and some of these other guys. DJ Stewart spent some time at the alternate site after a tough start for him. And then you go to the game on Saturday, and he completely turns it around, and he has home runs in three straight at-bats at one point. We're coming off a game as we're taping this rock where he reached five times. Has Have you ever heard of just forgetting about an 0 for 17 start as quickly as I think we all kind of have, given how DJ Stewart has played ever since last Saturday? I mean, this is something new to me just because how odd those numbers were. Remember when he got sent down the first time, he was 0 for 14 with eight strikeouts. So it wasn't just I'm hitting into tough luck. He wasn't hitting at all, but I think he had six walks too. So it was a really weird, decent on base percentage and nothing else across the board. I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't know if the swing looks a little different to me, uh, you know, where he's releasing the one hand as he's following through, or maybe that's just strike a pose after you hit one that you know is going into the upper deck. It looks a little different. I'm sure his confidence is up. And that was a key because I wondered when he got sent down that first time, if that was just going to crush him. And I talked to some people that said, yeah, one of the tasks over Bowie is going to be to pump him up again and keep him up because he was basically handed left field. And I thought this is the best shot he's ever going to have now. And he couldn't hold on to it. And then, of course, you have Santander's injury. And he gets another chance at right field. And I'm like, okay, he, he should consider himself lucky that he, was got, that he got another look, especially with this team in contention that you may not want to take a chance on trying to fix a DJ Stewart and continuing that at the major league level. And we've seen what happened. And, and who knows if that's going to continue or not, but you enjoy it as long as you can. But I think that added confidence has got to help him. It just looks like he's, he's got a better swing right now. And you know, I've, everybody I talk to just keeps raving about the work they're doing at Bowie with Cedric Mullins as well, that kind of continued what he did in the offseason working with a, a private hitting instructor in St. Louis. And you see what he's done now, and he looks like he's a different hitter. So, you know, you give a lot of credit to those guys. But, but yeah, Stewart got another shot that I didn't know would be there. And let's be honest, if Santander doesn't, Santander doesn't get hurt, do we even see DJ Stewart or certainly playing this much when you've got Mountcastle in, in left, and it's not like Stewart's going to play center. So this was his opportunity, and he's making the most of it. I'll tell you what, one of the big storylines this coming off season into spring training next year will be about six outfielders and in three spots, or four spots if you, you know, want to think of it that way, uh, whatever the number will be. And, and obviously a lot to do with the health and, of, of Trey Mancini, and uh, you, you have DH and, and first base as well for some of them. But that is going to be a really interesting story. It is. And you, know, you look at guys that aren't even here as well. Using El Diaz in a regular season, including having a minor league season, probably would have been up here by now. Ryan McKenna is on the taxi squad, and he's a guy who they think could be at least an extra outfielder for them, versatile guy similar to Mullins next season. But then it's like, okay, then if you have Mountcastle in left and he's not moving, that this is his position now and you've either got Hayes, let's say Hayes in center, and they want to give him another opportunity, and Santander comes back, and he's in right. Yeah, what about Mancini? And what about Mullins? 
uh, you know, you've got all these extra guys out in Stewart. And do, does that mean that now you suddenly have a surplus and you might try and package some in a trade to bring in something else? Uh, I'm not sure, but you've got, you know, this, it's going to be a pleasant problem. And of course, you know, Chris Davis has two more years left on his contract if you still have to pencil him in at least early on at first base. So uh, it's going to be a nice problem to have, but it's fascinating. They suddenly have this much depth in the outfield. Rockabaco, great insight for our insider segment. Thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. Rockabaco, and before that, Ryan Mountcastle. I want to jump on one thing, Jeff, that Ryan said uh, when mentioning Orioles prospects that are doing well down there, and it goes into what Rock was talking about, too, about these outfielders. Uh, but he was saying, using Neil Diaz is hitting home runs left and right. Uh, it is going to be really fascinating what Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde want to do with this outfield group because most of them are pretty young. As we head towards spring training of 2021, uh, to me, that's one of the really – it's not like that right now in the infield, uh, but it's like that in the outfield right now. It is going to be a, some tough decisions. Yeah, because you've got Anthony Santander who had an incredible season before, you know, it sounds like it's done with the oblique injury. And then you've got Cedric Mullins, who has really done a great job in a second opportunity with the team. DJ Stewart, same kind of story with the way that he has been playing, hitting three straight home runs at one stretch. And then you've got Mountcastle, you've got Trey Mancini, and then you have to figure, you know, how would this maybe affect Renato Nunez as well? You know, Nunez, first base, DH type. I mean, would you want to take Mancini, move him to play some first. Would you want Mountcastle to maybe play some first? I mean, it, it's a really tough question. Austin Hayes, you got to factor him in. Diaz, there's only so many spots that you've got available. And then you've got some players who are playing with a certain sense of urgency, like Mullins and Stewart. And it's great to see their hard work paying off. But yeah, at some point, it's going to become a numbers game. And, and how that's all going to get settled out, you're, you're not really sure. But I will say this, uh, going into the... 2020 offseason, I think that group realizes just how hard everybody's got to work. And I think the Orioles are going to be better for it. I think that's a great point. All right. Well, that was a fun episode, right? Mountcastle and Rockabaco. Always great insight there. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Some big baseball this weekend in the Bronx. We'll be on the Orioles Radio Network to tell you all about it. So join us then. And in the meantime, be safe and have a good one and enjoy the baseball. Mm-hmm.